Don't you love the line in that hymn that Jesus is our constant surprise? I love that. And this speaks directly to our scripture passage today from the gospel according to John, chapter 20, beginning with verse 19. When it was evening on that day, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house where the disciples had met were locked for fear of the crowds, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came to visit. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord, Thomas. But he said to them, Unless I see the mark of the nails in his hands and put my finger in the mark of the nail and my hand in his side, I will not believe. A week later, the disciples of Jesus were again in the home, and Thomas was with them this time. Although the doors were shut, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hand. Reach out your hand and put it in my side. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord, my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have come to believe. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may come to believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that through believing, you may have life in his name. This, friend, is the word of God for us, the people of God. How many of you were here uh, last night for Deeper Than Skin? Were any of you here for that? The music? Other elements of our music at First Church and how important it is and central to our life come through our amazing music director, Frank, on a weekly basis here in worship. Music is an amazing and important part of this congregation and how we communicate and how we make meaning as people, right? I see the choir members are out in the pews today. It's kind of exciting. Think about what you're doing when you listen to music. I was once told that it says a lot about your personality, what kind of music you like and what you listen to. Do you tend to like songs that are more about the lyrics, a good ballad? Anyone? Folk music? Or are you more maybe a fan of Philip Glass or you you like music that is more about the composition than about the words? What drives your musical preference, the lyrics or the composition. These are two different ways to really experience music. And ideally, perhaps, it's through merging both preferences that we find a favorite song, right? I have a good old-fashioned clergy confession to make. For many years, I doubted and didn't understand I was a doubting Thomas of the genre of improvisational jazz, It's one genre I just didn't really understand. Isn't that the stuff you just hear in elevators? 
until one day I had an in-person experience that changed everything. Back when I was in college in Iowa, when it was too short of a break, like a three-day weekend to get all the way back 11 hours to Colorado, I would drive the three hours down to visit my aunt and uncle in Kansas City because I knew three things. One, they're amazing. Two, they would bring me to good barbecue. And third, that we would go and listen to local music somewhere in Kansas City. I look forward to those weekends very much. One time, it was over Easter weekend, and they brought me to a traditional Kansas City jazz and blues club. Now, Kansas City is actually one of the places that is arguably the home of jazz and blues, historically. And it was inside. We went inside, and there was a full jazz quartet playing into the night. Classic riffs on themes that you may have heard, improvisations off of one another, changing and evolving with every verse. Have any of you ever seen live jazz before? Yeah. By the end of the night, after personally experiencing the passion, the wordless music, the coordination of the musicians, and the tradition of jazz in one of its hometowns, I became a believer. It was the first time I remember hearing music in that way. And when thinking of a sermon illustration about a conversion experience or going from disbelief into belief, it's one story that is really material. A moment in time that I went from not liking or understanding jazz to really loving it. This is a lot like our scripture passage today. Thomas hadn't meant to miss all the excitement. He didn't intend to be absent. He didn't intentionally leave to step outside of the room with the other disciples. He just didn't know what he was missing. Verse 24 simply says, But Thomas, who was called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came to visit. Jesus forgot to send his save-the-date invitation for the resurrection to Thomas. It got lost in the mail. This is such an interesting verse because it begs the question, where was Thomas? The most interesting parts of the Bible are the improvisational aspects that come with our own imaginations as we hear the story. This is what makes interpretation fun and relevant. It's the gaps. It's the gaps that allow the openings for the Holy Spirit. This is where God improvises with our souls. Nobody had expected Jesus to appear in their midst. Jesus forgot to RSVP for the upper room. Verse 19 simply says that the reason the rest of the disciples were all together was for safety in numbers. When it was evening on that day, the day of the resurrection, the first day of the week, and the doors of the house the disciples had met were locked for fear of the crowds, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Where was Thomas? Maybe Thomas wasn't with the other disciples, not because he was antisocial, but maybe he wasn't as scared as the others. He wasn't holed up in the house with the doors locked because of fear of other people. Maybe rather than thinking of him as doubting Thomas, he is really Thomas the Brave. History misunderstood his intentions. Poor Thomas gets such an undeserved bad rap in tradition. We can imagine his frustration and exclusion, sense of being ostracized when he goes to find the other disciples who are all scared and hiding in a house together 
while he has been out on the outside doing ministry, doing a crop walk outside of his pews. And he goes back to the church after doing the work of the church on the outside, perhaps. He goes to find his fearful friends who are stuck in their pews. And he opens the door and they are celebrating rather than cowering. Jesus had come to meet with them, with the fearful, while he was out doing the work of church. Thomas, you should have seen him. He asked about you. Thomas, you missed the show. Where were you? Uh, Maybe next time, Thomas, if he isn't gone for good this time. Have we all had this experience? Thomas doubts them and God because he's hurt and betrayed. Why didn't God, why didn't Jesus just wait for me to get home? He only had to wait five more minutes. Was I not worthy of God's love and and attention? I think that's the bigger question of Thomas is a sense of worthiness. After the fact, we learn that we weren't invited to the party that all of our friends were at when they post the Facebook pictures. Why didn't I get invited to that wedding? Thomas doesn't intend on being a doubter or a skeptic. There's no indication that Thomas is any more prone to skepticism than anyone else in the story. What Thomas's reaction was, was normal, understandable, and fundamentally human. Thomas maybe also feels betrayed as well, betrayed by God and wondering if he's worth it to Jesus. Why didn't he just wait for me? While he was carrying on the life and ministry outside the doors, maybe Thomas was out getting a food order for the disciples and water, things that they needed to survive. There's a reason he's not there. Jesus chose that moment to visit Thomas the Brave is the one who doesn't get to meet Jesus. Who wouldn't be frustrated and call the whole thing into doubt? Nobody else had any time to doubt because they all experienced the mystery and the presence of Jesus firsthand right away. Of course Thomas doubted. It's natural. He didn't know what he was missing. Verse 26 A whole week has gone by, and the disciples are still hiding in the house. And this time, Thomas is with them. Although the doors were shut, Scripture says, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hand. Do not doubt, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord, my God. My Lord, my God. But I I just wasn't invited. I wasn't there the first time. I'm doing my best, God. I'm doing my best and I'm still here. Notice after being excluded the first time, it's a week later, and Thomas doesn't leave. This is Thomas the loyal. This is Thomas the determined. In spite of being rejected by Jesus for that first visit and being the one out and about doing other work, he doesn't give up on the community. He doesn't give up on God. That's the miracle in this story. Friends, to believe in Christ, to experience God in 2023, means by its very definition to be Thomas. 
For we are like Thomas. We are all Christians who are hearing the news secondhand. We missed the original party by 2,000 years or so. We are looking for these moments that make us cry out, My Lord, my God. Someone, uh, one writer calls these God winks. Have you ever heard these before? A God wink? These are the moments when we see Jesus' hand and can put our hands at his side. These are moments when we sense the divine and we cry out where we say in our souls, My Lord, my God, there you are. God, I see you now. I see you everywhere. Like Thomas, we are doing the best we can week out and week in, weeks after the story was already told. And there's no shame in being a Thomas. Thomas is only called doubting by tradition. It's not in the text of the Bible, the word doubting Thomas. It's in later edition. Really, he is realist, logical, rational, modern Christian Thomas. We are all Thomas in this story, and there is no shame in that. How can you understand improvisational jazz without experiencing it in person, without seeing the musicians and how they interact with one another and play off of one another? Hearing jazz in an elevator at the mall cannot teach you the lesson of what it means or how it works, or how it expresses. Pretending to like jazz because it's cool also doesn't mean you're actually going to like it when you get there in person. Thomas is honest about what he needs to believe. I love this part. This is so important. Thomas is on, he says exactly what his criteria are to believe. And Jesus makes a special visit, so cool, back to the disciples a week later, and Jesus meets Thomas where he is and fulfills his request verbatim. Then Thomas understands. I love this because in the story, God meets Thomas where Thomas needs God to go. The only way to deepen our relationship with the risen Christ is to admit and be honest what we don't know and what we don't believe. Only then do we have the chance to experience Christ through community, through study, through meditation, and through the mysteries of the church. Being a realist Thomas is not a sin. Being even a doubting Thomas is not a shortcoming. Blessed indeed are those who have not seen yet have come to believe. Indeed they are blessed because they are rare and few and often are not genuine. Most of us, like me with my first time really understanding jazz have to go to the source, right? I had to go to a jazz club in a place where it was invented to see it done live to understand what this means to people, what it means to the musicians who dedicate their lives to that genre. Most of us don't just wake up one day and believe that jazz is a cool thing, but we wrestle, we seek, and we admit our doubts, and we struggle with our image of perfect faith all around us. Thomas isn't the opposite of true faith. He is the image of authentic faith. It is a faith, belief, and participation in the hope of Christ through challenging the status quo and the assumptions around us. Friends, it's been about 110,000 weeks now, and counting, 
since Jesus first appeared after the resurrection. So we must all accept our status as rational, skeptical, wrestling, and yet sincere seekers who show up week after week looking for those God winks. Thomas isn't a doubter. He may even be a hero. He is us and we are him, looking for Christ to come and show us the resurrection again in our lives. I remember that night uh, in Easter, midway through college, walking out of that jazz club by the plaza in Kansas City with my aunt and uncle, unexpectedly transformed into a different kind of music lover. It wasn't just Reba ballads anymore for me. Music after that night has never been again just about the words in a book or in a sermon or on a page or in a bulletin, but it's about the composition of the music beyond the capacity for words. I pray that Christianity likewise is transformed in our midst from words on a page or a Bible or a sermon into something that exceeds description, that is improvisational in our hearts, even in doubt, even in skepticism, and especially these many, many hundred thousand plus weeks after the first sighting post-resurrection. Amen.